Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This week I am talking with my longtime friend, John Doherty, who is the director of Life Fest Music Festival in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. We are talking about his rise through the ranks from being a stagehand to the man in charge of one of the largest Christian music festivals in the country. Also, we are discussing the importance of being kind to festival workers when you are an artist performing at a festival and the steps you can take if you are interested in working at a music festival. Now, I'm really excited about this particular episode because talking with John about Life Fest, the good news is Life Fest is going to be live this year, and I'm super excited about it. Of course, we had to take, they had to take last year off, 2020 off, because of the pandemic, and I've tried very hard to not have to talk about all of that kind of stuff, because this is evergreen content, this podcast, and so that means that the information that we're giving you is relevant now, 15, 20 years down the road. It's still going to be relevant information. So I don't like to put a timestamp necessarily on when these are recorded, but this episode was recorded briefly before the pandemic started. And of course, in 2020, they had to cancel um, all the festivals and all the touring and all that kind of stuff. But 2021 is here, and this is 2021 when this is being released. And Life Fest is going to be live in person this year, and music is back, baby, and I'm excited. And... I get to perform at Life Fest this year up in Wisconsin, and the good news is, uh, or the great news, is that Life Fest is also going to have a version of the festival in Nashville this summer in 2021. So I want to give you some information real quick before we get into the interview. So if you are interested in coming to Life Fest, uh, we would love to have you, and I'm going to be performing, I'm going to be hosting a stage in the in the Nashville festival and interviewing some of the artists and introducing people and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to be performing and um, you can come and you can get a discount on tickets if you use a coupon code that I'm going to give you right now. So um, just to know, if you go to lifefest.com, www.lifest.com, you can pick Wisconsin, or you can pick Nashville, Tennessee, and it'll take you into the site. And when you go to buy tickets, if you want to get an adult full event ticket, that means you're going to get a ticket that's going to span the entire festival weekend. It's usually three days. 
then you get a $5 discount on adult tickets for the full event. And the coupon code is my initials, JMK. So when you go to checkout and get your tickets, you can get a discount on tickets. Use my coupon code JMK, and we would love for you to be there. I'd love to see you there. I'd love to meet you guys. What's cool is I'm going to be doing a live a live version of the podcast with a live studio audience and the guests there and the audience gets to participate, ask questions. And so you can be there in person uh, in Wisconsin. That's July 8 through 11. And then Nashville is July 29 through 31 of this year, 2021, when this is coming out. So um, I just wanted to let you guys know about that. And as we get into this interview, get ready to take lots of great notes. I'm excited for what you're about to hear. Hey, everybody. I'm hanging out with my dear friend, John Doherty. How are you, buddy? I am wonderful, man. How's it going? I'm good. It is so good to see you. So to kind of give our audience a quick history, you and I have known each other for about 18 years. That, yeah, goes that a far long, back. A long time. And we haven't seen each other for about uh, 13 of those 13 years. years. Yeah. It's yeah. been, it's just been Facebook. That's been, yeah. Our... <laughs> yeah. So we keep up with each other. Yeah. Obviously. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Facebook and social media. <laughs> uh, but you call or actually you text me a few days ago or send me a Facebook message or something saying yeah. that you're going to be in Nashville for a conference and, uh, that you're going to be in town when we get together. And I was like, yeah, dude, for sure. Cause we haven't talked to each other in so long. So we finally get together and I kind of, I kind of sprung this on you at, at the last minute. It's like, Hey, guess what? I've got my, um, I got my gear and I would love to do an interview with you while you're here. <laughs> so yeah. thank you for, for jumping on the fly and let, letting us do this together. Yeah, this is great. I, uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast and, well, uh, thank you. Yeah, That's very it's fun to be a part of it. It's, so. it's very encouraging. So you are, you're a drummer for one. Yep. You've been drumming for a long, long time. Yeah, since uh, like fifth grade band uh, yeah. is kind of what what got me into into playing. So yeah, and then the the big thing I, I say the big thing that you do uh, in the music industry, it, you're in you're in Appleton, Wisconsin. Yep, is where you live. So nowhere near a major music mecca city <laughs> of of any kind necessarily. But in Appleton, Wisconsin, you are the director of a music festival. Yeah. Which so, is awesome. Yeah. So I run the Life Fest, the music festival. It's a Christian music festival. We're actually in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is just outside yeah, yeah, of Appleton, outside. but our offices are in Appleton. And yeah, we're one of the largest Christian festivals in the country. We've, uh, we're in our 21st year. Um, I didn't start as the director. I didn't start the festival, of course but, not. uh, you know, we, we kind of worked our way into that and yeah, it's, it's fun. And that's actually what brought us to town is, uh, we get together with the other promoters and stuff and, Talk about practices and, and okay. how to make things better. So you're actually kind of in town right now for like a conference with with other. Yeah. So we have the the Christian Festival Association is the uh, organization. There's 34 Christian festivals across the country that come together once a year in Nashville nice. uh, to talk about you know artists and best practices and production and and everything that goes into putting on a festival and producing a festival. Man, that's really cool to know that 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 exists because people don't even realize that all the festivals have to get together and kind of figure out what they're doing to put on their shows and have some consistency, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we started, um, obviously to, uh, to put our core beliefs together and things like that, but, but really the purpose of what we, why we get together is because specifically the smaller festivals, they don't know what they don't know. Sure. Uh, sometimes somebody starts a festival, whether it's a Christian or secular event and they go, Hey, 
I know I can put a bunch of people in this field and and book some bands and have a show. And the first year they go, that that was great. And then they don't have any idea what they're doing. And, you know, bands show up and, uh, you know, they don't have power. They forgot to hire an electrician or they did this or that. And our goal as a festival association is to to talk to everybody about what we do, how we do it, um, how to do it better. No kind of that. No idea is a dumb idea. Uh, Let's hash things out and Specifically, though, let's help out the the guys that want to start a festival or the guys who just started a festival. Uh, how do they get to that next level? How do they uh, continue to improve their event? Okay. So in a minute, I want to go back to kind of your history of how you got into music to begin with. But since we're talking about uh, the committee that you guys are doing, of everybody coming together, somebody that's listening is thinking, you know, maybe I want to run a festival. Maybe I want to put together a music festival and it may be a Christian music festival. It might be a mainstream festival. It doesn't, that doesn't matter necessarily because they're technically run the same way, the way that, you know, the, the technical aspect of it anyway. So if somebody wants to get into, into that festival world, do they need to be a member of this organization that you're talking about? You guys all getting together is like, is that, is that a good first step for them to be a part of that so that they can, can kind of learn from people further down the road? I, I believe so. I mean, so our association, to be a member of our association, you have to have an existing festival. You have to, you get voted in essentially okay. to, to be a part of our association. But in the Christian music world, GMA Week, uh, the Gospel Music Association, you know, they, they've got tracks on how to be a promoter and they've got, so I mean, there's there's resources out there that are available. I know in the secular world that there's there's conferences. I mean, there's tons of conferences, tons of ways to get kind of that experience of being a promoter. And, you know, before you just book a book a band, which ironically is how we met. Yeah, that's how you and I met. <laughs> uh, it, you guys were one of the first shows that I ever booked uh, and, and tried to put on at my church. And thank but, you for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was, you know, it was, you kind of just get, you know, some people just fall into it. Some people do it by accident. Some people just want to have a cool show and, and put things on. But, you know, sometimes you survive because of, you know, being too naive to, to fail. Right. Uh, but but it's definitely good to do your research, especially now. I mean, there's so many resources out there, so many online seminars. I mean, there's probably a YouTube on how to start a festival. If there isn't, I I think I'll, I'll do one. You might but, start one, yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, there's there's so many resources out there that, you know, people just need to, to, to embrace. But, you know, joining an association or getting together with a with fellow event promoters uh, definitely is is huge on my list of things to <laughs> to sure. encourage. Yeah, that's cool. Well, well, let's get back to that in a bit and go a little maybe a little deeper into what that looks like on how sure. to put something like that together. But let's go back for a minute and just kind of give the audience uh, a brief history of who you are and where you started from to begin with. Yeah. So fifth grade, I started. It was kind of my journey to my, my musical career. Actually, earlier than that. Um, my dad said uh, he made us. He, he forced me to learn piano. That was the thing. He's like, if you're ever gonna have anything in music, you're gonna learn how to play the piano. So I did that for years, and now I can't play a lick. Like yeah. I, but uh, but it kind of gave that that musical background. But I, I think you know my once I started playing drums, I really got my desire from my grandmother, who was an Elvis Presley fan, and mm. uh, there was always music on in her house and. Uh, all of those things. And, you know, she just, she kind of had a love of music in general and country music. And uh, there, like I said, there was just always music on whenever you went to grandma's house. And uh, as soon as I started playing, as soon as I started playing drums and band, uh, I got a drum set for Christmas. I think I was 12 years old or 13 years old. I don't know why parents were thinking buying their 13 year old a drum set, but, you know, my parents helped foster it. I mean, they were really good about 
giving me times to practice and, you know, all right, we're, we're going out on a date. You can have the house to practice. And I'd play for hours. And, uh, it was just, just a love of, of playing music. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Dan Hardgrove, uh, had a bass guitar. So we started jamming and his dad played guitar. So we just, you know, we started jamming in their basement and, uh, that turned into my first band and, uh, we played in high school and, uh, won, won a battle of the bands competition and, nice. uh, had a ton of like, you know, all the fun band stories, someone locked their keys in the car. So, you know, we showed up at the gig and all of our stuff still locked in the truck. And oh, no. you know, we, we had tons of, tons of those types of mishaps and, and fun little things. We, uh, went to uh went to a college campus for you know drove you know our lone little tour did some college campuses didn't make any money never got paid anything just did it experience yeah and 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 love to do that um when i graduated high school uh i i joined a cover band that played out in bars and uh so i was 18 years old playing in bars and uh doing the the cover band thing and made a made a decent amount of money doing that uh, now let me ask you this: yeah. who, who was booking your booking your shows when you're in high school and early college? Uh, me and me and Dan. I okay. mean, that was uh, the two of us. Just we played, you know, everywhere we played in high school. It was hey, there's a battle of the bands here, and we sign up for it. Or um, we used to play this little place called Nikki's Hot Dog Shop. It was okay. this little Quonset hut, and we would play there like twice a month. Uh, and the guy literally just fed us. That's all he did. Okay, uh, but we'd go in there and we'd be on the bill with like two other high school bands and one of us would kind of bring the production and they got to close cause they had the sound system. We had the sound system. So we'd get to close, which is my foray into running sound. Cause yeah. when you're the drummer, you don't have to, you know, carry much, I guess. Right. Uh, so I got to get all the speakers and stuff too. But so I, you know, I bought, bought some speakers on a stick and a little powered mixer. And so that made us the closer cause yeah. we got, cause it was RPA. That's a smart move. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Uh, and then we, uh, but we play there every couple of, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever and, uh, eat hot dogs and drink soda until, uh, till two in the morning and then we'd go home <laughs> and then we, you know, we'd play whatever. I mean, I, I know we played birthday parties for, for friends of ours. We'd set up in people's houses, uh, you know, in their basements and yeah. make tons of noise and but stuff. People are coming to you at this point saying, Hey, we come play this birthday party or, or whatever our event is just because they've heard you and they know you and. Yeah. I mean, it was all friends from high school yeah. at the time. And, yeah. um, I, I don't know if we ever actually got paid anything to ever yeah. play any of those shows, but, but it was exposure and sure. Fun. And the thing is, I think this is good for people listening because, you know, music is all ages and being in music is all ages, you know, people starting out in middle school and high school, you know, that are doing bands and, and singing competitions or whatever, like that's how young it starts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that are getting signed to labels and starting careers are still teenagers. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and, you know, all of those types of artists, like they were 15, 16, whenever they hit, hit it big. So I think that's good for people to, to listen to and hear that, that, you know, you're out doing it in high school and you're making a name for yourself and you're active at booking and getting a sound system and learning how to do this kind of stuff. Like people need to hear that and students need to hear that, that there's a starting place. Mm -hmm. You got to start somewhere. And so if you're in high school, or even if you're in middle school and you're listening to this or you're in college and you're just wanting to get into it, you know, you got to start at some place and get out and make it, make it happen. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, the, I guess the, the moral of our story was we would play anywhere someone would let us play. Right. We practiced, I mean, we had a whole setup at my house whenever we weren't out playing a show. I mean, we played probably 
you know, we practiced two or three times a week. The whole band got together. You know, we just we we played a lot. And to take every opportunity that that someone gave us, it made us a little bit better. It made us better at oh, hey, this is how we should set the PA up, or oh, this is how this works, or this is how that, you know. Yeah. Um, Trial we spent, and error. We spent a lot of time at the music store talking to talking to the people there going, hey, this, you know, how does this thing work? And, yeah. uh, you know, we rented something and then we bought something that we didn't have to rent it anymore. And then we, you know, uh, when we did start finally getting paid for shows uh, kind of closer to college years, you know, we were reinvesting it in, in sound systems and stuff all the time. So Yeah, that's smart. That's really, really good stuff. Uh, so then after kind of in college, you're still playing different shows. And then where did you kind of transi- transition into from from that point with the band? Well, I, I joined the uh, the cover band, which was then now actually a, a paid position okay. or a okay. paid, paid, paid gig. Yeah. Uh, I was 18 when I joined those guys. Okay. I was still doing some shows with uh, my original band that was in high school. But we started doing bars. I, I literally, I was the guy that like ripped the tag off the sheet at the music store that said seeking drummer. And I pulled the, pulled the tag and I went, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll call these guys. I'll, yeah. you know, I've been playing now for, you know, five years and six years or whatever it was. And, you know, just showed up for an audition. And what's funny is like, I knew all the music. I'd never practiced any of those songs, but I just knew them because yeah. I grew up in house. My house always had music. My grandma's house always had music. So I just always, you know, I knew, I knew what the fill sounded like in my head. So, you know, just translated those to the to the tunes and got the gig by by just kind of showing up and, and doing it. And we played probably for the next, I think it was like nine years or so that that band stayed together. Okay. Um, and we, you know, we started out small and we, we took shows everywhere from making a bunch of money doing like a casino gig <laughs> uh, all the way down to, you know, 400 bucks for playing a, a little hole in the wall bar. And I took the same route that I did even with the original band. Uh, I reinvested a lot of my money back into production. Uh, so as the band would go out and do a show, I bought speakers, I bought a power amp, I bought a mixing console, I bought you know, lights, I bought all of that kind of stuff. So when we did shows, the band made more money and I got paid more because I own the sound system. Right, So that's smart. See, that's, that's business thinking. It's not just being creative. You have to you have to have talent. You have to be creative, but there's also a business aspect because this is a business, right? You know, and so if you're going to make money at it and you want to do it for a living, you've got to figure out these niches of how do I make money doing this? It's not maybe just playing the show, but reinvesting in to have the gear because that allows you to get paid more because you have better quality equipment than someone else does. You know, so those things matter. So it's well, good, good and, to hear that. And even with the, uh, you know, once once the cover band was doing our thing, there were events, you know, street fairs and and some of these, uh, you know, there, we did pig roasts and all that kind of stuff, you know, big, uh, you know, kind of biker party, bunch of people show up and 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 whatnot. And almost like in high school when we played at Nikki's, we owned the production that did the event. So not only did we get paid as the as the sound and light company, we got paid as a band to play and you get, you know, we would get top billing cause we, we mm-hmm. would be there in the morning. We'd set up all the other bands would do their, do their set all day long. We jump up on the flatbed truck, play our set, tear everything down and go home. Yep. So you're getting paid twice. Basically. Yeah. I mean, That's it smart. was from, from high school on, I read, you know, Yamaha had the sound reinforcement handbook. Uh, so I read that and learned how to do sound and, and watched videos and stuff like that on how to, uh, how to mix for other bands and, 
purely through a lot of it, just through trial and error, mm-hmm. you know, got pretty good at, at running sound. Uh, I also took that out when my band wasn't playing on a weekend, if we had a weekend off or something like that. And I was hiring myself out just as a sound guy to, uh, you know, other bands in the area and <laughs> wrangled that into a part-time gig or a full-time gig for part of the time at a music store. Okay. Uh, so I got, you know, employee discount. That was really why it worked yep. there for the most part. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I just did, uh, you know, run sound for whoever was, was playing or, or I played out. Now, and, how did you get known to be a sound guy? Is that because you were, since you already had the system and when you're playing shows and these bands are playing in front of you, when those bands were playing another show on their own, they needed a sound, a sound guy and sound system. They knew to call you at that point or how, or were you having to reach out to people say, Hey, I'm a sound guy. I've, I've got my own gear. Do you need somebody like what, what are the dynamics to make that work for you? I mean, this was, uh, you know, late nineties. So like 99 through like mid 2000. So it was before social media and Facebook and all that kind of stuff where you could put your stuff out there. Uh, same deal. Like I literally put up a flyer at the, at the music store saying, Got, Hey, yeah. sound guy, gotcha. you know, you need sound. Um, but to that point, yeah, a lot of it was, I did sound for a, for a band because they were on a ticket that we played somewhere else or, you know, this guy is a friend of this guy and you know, my guitar player's buddy is in a different band and they need a sound guy for the weekend. So me and my guitar player would bring our rig to go, to go mm-hmm. do their show. Um, you know, and people, it was just word of mouth for the most part, um, that I really kind of turned into my, my job. I mean, it was what I did for, uh, aside from the music store, it's what I did for, yeah, you, for a better part of nine years. You built your own business. Yeah. Which is awesome. So Self, self-employed man. Yeah. That's, that's the way to go when you can do it. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, you know, had a nice truck and a trailer and, you know, we, the big thing was we kept reinvesting. We didn't, yeah. you know, we weren't out there spending money. We were buying bigger and better PA and yeah. bigger and better lighting and investing it. Yeah. That's really good. Keeping it working too. Yeah. Well then when you and I, you and I met, I was playing for another artist at the time and I had just moved to Nashville, maybe about within a year or so of meeting you. And somehow we got booked to come up and, and play in Wisconsin and met you and uh, you brought us into your church yeah, to play a show and to lead worship and um, which was cool. And I love that. That's how we met. And you had played for us because sometimes we had a band and some, sometimes we'd come back and it would just be, uh, you know, the artist and me playing guitar and then we'd play at your church and then you would fill in and you'd play drums for us. Mm-hmm. And we would do that sometimes. And so then all of a sudden, and you, I knew you were working at the music store as well, but then there was an opportunity to play this thing called Life Fest, which was a Christian music festival. And I was so excited because I'd never played a festival before. Like that was a big deal for years. I've always I always dreamt of getting to play at a festival. And like this is like this is super cool. Now I get to do this, you mm-hmm. know, and walk into this whole new area of, you know, of of being a musician and being a performer. And um, so how did you get into working at Life Fest? So it, it goes to the sound company, essentially. Um, of your sound company. Of mine, yeah. I, uh, I knew a guy, named, uh, a guy named Chuck who was the production manager for LifeFest at the time. This was in its first infancy. Um, this was its first couple of years of, of being a festival. And Chuck needed a guy to, like, set up sound systems for the seminar people. And I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll do that, you know. And so I came in and rented, rented the gear and, and set up speakers at seminar locations that was the first year i did it okay wait how did you know chuck 
How did you meet Chuck? Uh, I met Chuck because he's a DJ. Okay. Uh, and I believe I did. We did a we did a gig together. Okay. Oh, you know what it was? It was uh, <laughs> Houdini days. Appleton, Wisconsin, is the home of Harry Houdini. Okay. Not really, but they claim that. Uh, <laughs> uh, his dad like was a was a Jewish priest. Uh, uh, what do they call him? Rabbi. Rabbi. There it is. Uh, his dad was a rabbi in Appleton. So Harry wasn't born in Appleton, and they didn't live there very long. But he lived there for the couple of years. Uh, so Appleton claims him as their own. But they uh, they do this big Houdini fest every year. And uh, there was a guy who had, you know, he did the upside down straight jacket thing. And they're like, we need a sound system for the big music thing. And so I was there for like, like 30 minutes, you know, to basically for this one trick. Mm -hmm. uh, but I set the PA up and, and uh, Chuck was one of the guys working that. And he said, hey, I do this festival. Can there we come do this? So, um, you know, I think the, 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 the moral of the story is I never once, other than, hanging up like flyers i never really had to advertise it was all you know working with other people and yep you know i think kind of your mentality and your attitude towards how you work with people you know i always wanted everyone to walk away from a show that i worked with them on feeling good about the show and feeling good about what happened and it's all it was all word of mouth i mean i never like i said i never yeah. i think i had business cards printed for when someone needed my phone number i could yeah. hand them out but that was that was the kind of the extent of my marketing yeah but you had built relationships though yep you know and that's a lot one of the things that i talk about all the time on the show is that everything comes back to relationships mm -hmm. you know and you got to know this guy who you worked with him at the houdini day yep. event and then all of a sudden he he knows what you're doing he, he's gotten to know you he sees your work ethic and how and how good you are at what you're doing it says hey i've got this festival i need someone to come run sound for it boom now you're all of a sudden you're at one of the biggest festivals in the country yeah um yeah so i started you know doing seminars i mean that was where i started at life fest um and then the next year i walked in and uh they asked me to come to a meeting and they were like all right we need the stage managers to come over here and i was sitting there i had no idea what my job was going to be uh, about two weeks before the event and Chuck's like, oh, you're going to run one of the venues. Come on over here. I'd never run a stage in my life other than like, again, these beer tents or, or these small, you know, two or three cover bands that we all knew each other. So it was just shared gear and whatever. And so he handed me a clipboard and said, you're, you're going to run this venue. Here's the schedule. So then I started working with the production companies and, you know, moving gear and turning bands and all that kind of stuff. And that's the time when I thought to myself, hey, I should book a show. And we booked, yeah. uh, booked you For guys us. to come on up. And, uh, you know, did a couple of shows at my church and one of which was great and one of which I think failed horribly. Uh, from, uh, I'm hoping the hours was the one that was great, not the one that failed horribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, so we, we learned early on. Yeah. I mean, it was I, I was starting out as my as, as my promoter days, all of which were financially viable. It was just one of those like, oh, maybe we shouldn't put a heavy metal band in a gymnasium at a at a at a, you right. know church or whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, a couple years got into it and I started getting into some of the booking stuff. And, uh, I think that's when I brought you up to play on a couple of the venues that we had there, a couple of stages. Yeah, and I did an acoustic, there's an acoustic tent. Yep. And, um, I was newly married. I was a newlywed, like literally had been married for about maybe a month or two at the most. And my wife and I came up there and we were out touring all over the country our first year of marriage. And, um, and was grateful to get to come and do that with you guys for that. So, so that was my, uh, so I was, I was just a contractor at that time. Uh, I wasn't working for the organization or anything yet. And then in 2006, uh, 
kind of started having lunches with with one of the VPs, one of the guys that ran the, the organization, who was actually the festival director at the time. Uh, and he brought me in to, you know, put me on staff full time then. This was kind of my, my first real job. And I was 26 years old because <laughs> prior to that, I had only yeah. kind of played out or, or done done shows and stuff. So, uh, you know, he brought me in to be kind of the logistics guy, the the production director of the of the festival. And, and the organization does public schools. Uh, we do all these other things outside of this. So we, we, you know, we would go out with a small sound system and do that. Um, so I was putting up two speakers on sticks and, you know, guys, you know, was out there doing his, uh, anti-bullying programs and mm-hmm. suicide prevention and that kind of stuff. And what's the name of the company? Uh, life promotions. Okay. So, uh, so that's, that's my, my full-time employer. So we put out, um, you know, we put out a small sound system back then. Uh, we had an illusionist or a, a musician. I know you did, did a couple of them with us. Yeah. Yeah, um, to play a concert for one of those. Yeah, and uh, basically Bob would go in and give a give a, a, a school based uh, you know suicide prevention or anti bullying message, right. uh, and then we would you know partner and do do concerts at night and stuff just to have some more entertainment, and uh, we would do that kind of throughout the year, and then our big summer event was you know was this festival or is this festival, and uh, so through the years I kind of stepped up the production game at the festival and just kind of kept doing that. And about seven years ago, became the director of the festival. Right. Uh, so now I do all the talent buying. I do all the production specking. I do all of the the stage programming, uh, minute by minute schedules kind of have to do all of the, you're in charge of the whole thing, the whole thing, all the way down to the porta potties. So, <laughs> and it's got, which we need you. Yeah. Those are, those are what you have to have funnel cakes and porta potties. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. All right, so let's talk about what what does it look like to be on staff working at a festival. So you talked about early on when you first started, you were kind of like a stage manager of a small, you know, a small stage of a tent or whatever. Yeah, just brought in. You know, when I first started, I was not on staff; I was right. just contracted for the event. So, okay. um, but what was your job like? What did you do in that job? Uh, so. The first round was a stage manager, okay. and I literally got thrown to the wolves on that one. I had never done it before, um, you know. And it was like, all right, here's your, you know, everyone gets their 45 minutes set. There's a 15 minute changeover, and the next band starts, and you have to keep the stage on time. Right. That was my, <laughs> that was my my job description handed to me. Okay. Um, you know, but it, it was so much more than that. I mean, it's it's the balancing act between, you know, making sure the monitor engineer has a stage plot and has, you know, knows what the patch is going to be. Because especially in these run and gun changeover festivals, um, you know, sometimes you have a band walk in and they've got, you know, 12 track lines and, you know, all this stuff and the, you know, hey, you're playing your 45 minutes and you got 15 minutes to make it work. Um, so communication is the key with all the all the different components, making sure the front of house guy is getting the lines that he needs, monitor guys communicating with the band to make sure that that they're doing what they're supposed to do and that the musicians, you know, aren't wandering around without putting their in-ears in or, <laughs> you know, that they're at their station or, or whatever. So that first year was, like I said, it was kind of trial by fire and figuring it out. And as I progressed through doing it over the years, got considerably better at it and, and just kind of picking up the pieces of knowing, oh yeah, let's, let's make sure this is going on or, you know, who to talk to. And, uh, the, the advanced work with, with the bands and stuff got way cleaner, uh, after years of doing it. So mm-hmm. Okay. And then as you moved up to doing more production, you mm-hmm. moved into the production. So you started actually running sound for some of the, some of the events. Or um, so at, what, what was production manager considered? 
so basically, the the guy that purchases all the production at our festival, I was never really the front of house guy or anything. Uh, I ended up buying all the production, so the main stage production, all the way down to you know the two speakers that are in the little cafe tent, mm-hmm. all the way you know, and then backline and and all of those all of those components, all the staging and decking. Uh, I did end up uh, running our main stage actually for about four years uh, before I became the festival director, and then had to hire somebody to do it. But it was just all of the different you know, kind of putting all the pieces together, mm-hmm. you know, do we buy, you know, what type of line array do we get? What type of consoles do we get? Uh, and, you know, leaning on industry professionals to talk about and luckily going to a Christian festival association, which is where, where right. I am now, you know, and, and, you know, 12, 13 years ago coming in going, Hey man, I, I, you know, I know what the JBL, you know, Vertec rig is, but is the Meyer one better? And, you know, having conversations with guys who have been doing this for years and know what, what kind of gear is out there and and what's going on. I mean, I literally, especially for people who are just getting into the music industry now, this was when digital consoles became a thing, you know, it was, Oh, only the big acts have a digital console. They have a PM five (laughs) D, you know, or PM one D and that, that was it. Uh, those were the only digital desks that were, were out there at the time. Uh, everyone else is bringing in these heritage 3Ks, these giant consoles, and they're taking up, you know, headliners got theirs and the festivals got theirs. And, you know, you're taking, you know, you're writing down <laughs> settings so the next band can sound check. And, um, you know, all of a sudden getting digital desks made everyone's life easy. But knowing what to buy, knowing which ones to have, knowing who, uh, you know, and by buy, I don't mean buying, we were renting, but buying production from a company. Right. Uh, but knowing what to bring and knowing when to, where to spend the money, mm-hmm. uh, cause you know, all festivals, but ours and ours in particular, you know, we were still young, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the attendance numbers yet to justify spending the extra $10,000 to get, you know, a better this or a better that or moving lights or more, you know, can we get by without a spare generator? Can we do these things? So that was really what I got into when I was on staff at the festival uh, and then ran the main stage and then became the main talent buyer, I guess is the kind of the next yeah. progression in my, in my career there. Yeah. So the reason I'm asking these questions is because somebody listening that wants to get into working a festival just to kind of get their foot in the door to start that process or somebody who wants to start a festival to begin with um, just for people to know what these positions are and mm-hmm. kind of what is entailed to, to do this job. You know, because it's kind of starting from the ground up. You started, mm-hmm. you know, at the very lowest level. Yeah. You know, and now all of a sudden, a few years later, you're the head. You're the head honcho. Yeah. You know, which is awesome. I mean, so so from a from a festival standpoint, from a production in a in a, in a side of things, I mean, I still have a production manager. I have a guy who who does his job is to drive around and make sure that every band, every stage has what it needs. Is this going on? And it, and we get from different vendors, uh, but I have one guy that's kind of over uh, oversees a lot of our, our different festivals or our different stages at the festival. But yeah, every stage has a stage manager. Every stage has a program manager, somebody who runs the clock and makes sure that the bands are on time. Uh, and these are all things that when I started, we didn't have. Right. Um, because we didn't know any better. We didn't know what we didn't know. We just, just literally, I was handed a clipboard with a schedule and said, go run a stage. Uh, and now we have a process where we, take guys and say, you're going to assist this guy. You're going to assist this stage manager. You're going to learn how to do his job. 
So someday when I promote him, you can take it over. Right. All those types of things. So somebody getting into this to that point, you know, all of my stage managers come from vastly different backgrounds. Nobody went to stage manager school. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that degree, maybe Belmont has a, has a uh, truck for that know. or something, but, uh, there's no stage manager college. That's for sure. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can go to clown college and, right. and that's what some of us call Some people call our stage managers, but the biggest thing is kind of having a heart to, to make sure that artists, you know, you have to have that passion and yet the willingness to work with everybody to, to take the production guy who has his needs, the band who has their needs, the promoter, which is who I am now, has we have our needs to, to make sure the show goes right. But ultimately, it's taking all of those things with the attendee's perspective in mind, making sure that the attendee gets the best experience out of the whole deal. And, you know, sometimes you get into the ego game and, oh, so-and-so, you know, the green M&Ms in a bowl and all that kind of stuff. But in Christian music, egos, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> is this the right show? We, uh, we do have, uh, yeah, we have conversations about why so-and-so won't play before this guy. Or, oh, goodness. You know, I mean, it's secular. It's Christian. Yeah. They it's all business. have that. It's all it's, it's all part of it. Yeah. yeah. It's um, stupid, but it's there. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the biggest thing you can do uh, is, you know, check your ego at the door when you're asked to play somewhere. And uh, again, keep your attendee in mind. I mean, I think, I think that's the best advice I would ever give anybody is. Yeah. At the end of the day, the person who has been standing out front waiting for the headliner to go on all day and has screamed and yelled and cheered for every band in the burning hot sun could, could care less that your stage is running four minutes late or yeah. that you're two minutes over on this and you're one minute under on that, or so-and-so didn't get, you know, the bigger dressing room or whatever, all of that stuff, you have to deal with it. You have to work through it. You have to, to work to make it better. Mm -hmm. But ultimately are their bathrooms clean? <laughs> Did they get their funnel cake? And do they get to see their headliner and, and have a good time? So. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's good, good information for people to know. And one of the things I want to talk about, because a lot of the episodes that I, when I have guests on, we talk about what, one of the things that always comes back to is we always say that you have to be in a music city. You have to be in Nashville, LA, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Austin, Texas, whatever it is, or Seattle, you know, those were the major music cities where music happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so most of the time when I'm talking to a guest, we talk about the fact that you need to be in one of those cities if you're going to do music. But you're not in, you're nowhere near that. No. And, and right. You're in the middle of a field in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, putting on this show. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, for local bands, you know, like you said, when you were in high school and college, you were playing locally and maybe re maybe regionally, but you're just kind of playing your area and building up a fan base, getting people to, to know who you are and, and building some confidence and, and a repertoire to play. And, you know, so I want to encourage people that are listening to know that you don't have to, as an artist or a, as a band, you don't have to live in a big city to do those things. And maybe you don't want to. And maybe... You know, we always talk about, okay, if you're going to work for a label or a management company or a publisher or something like that, yeah, you do have to be in one of those cities. Yes, that's, you do need that. But if you want to put on a festival or you want to work in a venue that brings in bands and you want to live in your hometown or kind of live in that area, then, you know, there's music to be made all over the country and all over the world. It doesn't have to be in a big city for that. Oh, yeah. 
uh, actually Appleton's got a great music scene. Yeah. Um, we've got lots of great clubs, um, both bars and just concert venues that, that, yeah. that are out there. We've actually got a really great, I mean, we've got a great recording studio in town that lots of great music gets made at. Uh, we've got a great blues scene. We've got a, you know, we've got Lawrence university right in town, mm-hmm. which is a liberal arts college and they've got tons of musicians that go through there. But even Oshkosh, uh, you know, they've got a really good music school. They've got a great radio TV film major and they do have some other, you know, kind of music directional tracks that mm-hmm. you can go down uh, if you're in school there. And, you know, I think the big thing is I've, I've met people in a, uh, I had a friend and, and she was, she was talking about, I'm moving to Nashville and I'm going to be a singer and songwriter. And uh, I kind of joked with her at the time. I said, well, let me know how, let me know how good you get at making coffee uh, when right. you come back. And uh, she, she kind of scoffed at me and, you know, she was only down here six months. She was only down here in Nashville for six months before she realized, you know what? There's a lot of singer songwriters down here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in the industry. Everyone down here is in the industry. And um, she did end up coming back and going to school locally. Uh, and she's a phenomenal musician. She's a great songwriter. She's a great is singer. She's out, is she's out playing and performing? And she's out playing in Appleton. I yeah. mean, she's out doing her thing. And she, she uh, you know, she gets to to play festivals and she gets to play, uh, you know, around and do her shows. And, yeah. And that's great. You know, you know, I, th- I think people, people need to know that, you know, if you want to hit it big, quote unquote, hit the big time and, and, you know, get signed to a label and go out and be a headliner at that kind of stuff. Yeah. You have to, you have to make the move. You, yep. and you have to find a way to make those things work in yep. those cities. Yep. You know, it's a lot of hard work, but it can be done. But, you know, maybe somebody doesn't want to doesn't think about the fact that, you know, I'm going to be the next, you know, Garth Brooks or, you know, Maroon 5 or whoever it is. Uh, but I want to just make music and yeah. make music for a living. And I can do this. I can do this locally or regionally or whatever. And, I, and so she's a perfect example of that. Yeah. Uh, and actually going all the way back to my high school days, uh, Dan, uh, our lead singer and songwriter from my band, he lives in Madison. He's a computer programmer for uh, some software company. But he still writes. He still writes, and he he's got people that technology has been a phenomenal thing. I mean, we yeah, sit here; it's changed everything. We sit here with a you know MacBook and a couple of microphones doing a podcast, and Dan can sit down in his house with his guitar and his computer, record something, email it to somebody, yeah, have them listen to it, have them add their parts to it, and email yeah. it back. And um, you know, you you just look at what the the, the advancements in technology and. What unfortunately, what that's done to record labels and yeah. and uh, and physical CD purchasing and all that kind yeah. of stuff. That's a whole. I mean, that's five yeah, more podcasts. Technology but, has helped indie artists, but it's been a detriment to to labels and yep. kind of the what we know as the music business in yeah. a lot of ways. But continue. I'm sorry. But but to that point, I mean, if you find you know, I think the real key is finding people that that you can coexist with musically people that you can write songs with people that you 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 want to play with you want to do those things with uh like i said I mean, we've got a phenomenal recording studio in appleton i mean the guy does he still has reel to reel he has an old neve console everything everything he puts out sounds great but i mean there's five other studios in appleton in the wisconsin area you know in yeah. that in that middle of nowhere wisconsin yeah and these people are making a living as producers and engineers yeah i mean they're they're recording stuff and and people are you know showing up to their places and they're, they're recording their albums and people are still putting out music and it's happening anywhere. You can literally do this anywhere. Yeah. And I think it's the biggest thing is finding people that, that have like hearts and like minds to create 
what you want to create, whether it's Christian music or secular music or EDM or whatever it is, sure, yeah. you know, finding people that I think the, the big thing is connecting to your audience with whatever it is you're, you're producing. So, yeah, that's really good. So as a director of a festival, what is your favorite part of being the director of Life Fest? Um, my favorite thing of all time is we we're one of the largest Christian festivals. So we 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 pull in somewhere between twenty seven and thirty thousand people a day. Uh, but to stand on the stage and to see a sea of people, you know, listening to music, worshiping together, um, and 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 just enjoying themselves. Yeah, I, I often tell people it's ironic. I would never buy a, a ticket to a festival. I don't like crowds. I don't like going to loud concerts. I don't like crowds of people. I don't, I don't like any of that experience. <laughs> and yet it's what I do for a living. You're the director of it. <laughs> um, and, and it, but I see the value in it. And I know that the, the people that, that are there just love the experience and they love the concepts of, of what's going on. Uh, you know, some people come because they love the music, but I think most of the people come to the festival because they love that community, that connectedness, you know, my personal joy was I got to, you know, ride the Ferris wheel with my kids. You know, they, they like doing the Ferris wheel or yeah. going to the petting zoo or all those other things that we do that aren't music, necessarily music related. And I think that's what, for us, that's the biggest thing is the family connectedness, that time uh, where people can come together. And ultimately at the end of the night, the people that come to our event, they go to see the headliner, they go to see the big shows. But I know personally, I like to see the small cafe stage acts. I like to see the small, you know, who's, who's, who's sitting out there with a guitar. Cause that, that to me takes a lot of guts Yeah, to go on stage in front of 30,000 people. Obviously you got to have some courage to do that, mm -hmm. but you're playing, you know, you've got your tracks, you've got your <laughs> polished instrument, you know, polished sets. You've got every line is rehearsed, all that stuff. You know, you've got the perfect in-ear mix. You're using all your own gear. You got the big lights. You got this whole deal for me. I love to see the singer songwriter sitting on a bar stool, you know, playing to a bunch of people eating, you know, eating fried food who aren't really there to hear them, but they're still their audience. They're yeah. still who, who you're there. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I equate that back to bar days, you know, yes, people came out to hear us play in a bar or a club, but there was a lot of people that were there just because they wanted to go to the bar or the club or they were having dinner and you're, you know, you're the background noise for them, but you want to give them that, that whole experience. Um, but I love to see the singer songwriters. Yeah. I love to hear uh, people who are just raw, real and open and it's just them and, you know, some wood and steel. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you booked me thing. for when yeah. I, when I played there, that's, it was that cafe tent. Yeah. Just acoustic guitar and microphone and go for it. Yep. Good luck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. So, and it was fun. So, uh, and the headliners I, like sound checking the kick drum while you're trying to play a ballad right, or something. Exactly. You know, it's, all that stuff's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I want to ask when for people that are listening to be, because there's musicians or artists that are thinking, well, I want to play at a festival. How do I get my foot in the door to play at a festival? What are the steps to, to make that happen? Especially if two two ways. Uh, I mean, granted, the artists that are on the radio, and so you're you're calling to find out to book them. But what about the artists that are maybe new artists, quote unquote, or someone who's been around for a long time, but they're not signed to a label, and 
you know, they're just looking to get exposure in a new a new place and they want to play at a festival for maybe for the first time. How do they how do they get your attention? Yeah, about about 60 percent of our lineup. Obviously, we go after. I mean, right. it's it's everyone who plays our main stage. I'm going to call you. You're not going to, you know, you're you calling me or emailing me won't, won't get you anywhere. Um, and I get probably two to three emails a, a week from artists and going, hey, I'd love to play your festival. I'd love to be a part of this or whatever. We, uh, you know, we obviously keep those all in a file and, and we, we give people an opportunity to submit an EPK or submit their 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 information. Um, you know, we've we've kind of filtered this out through kind of a YouTube game that we play with the artists. Uh, we'll post your video on YouTube. The top 10 bands that get the most likes get to play the festival. Like, you know, so we, we kind of put it on them to show us that you've got some some people that like your stuff. And we, we put it out to our, our fans as well. Um, and and say again how how you find out about those bands. Uh, they all come to uh, I mean, I, to I get three or four emails. a oh, week. I got you. Uh, or phone calls of people yeah. going, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so from whatever. I want to play your festival. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, you do the do the math on that. I mean, it's probably 150 bands that reach out to us, and we're gonna we're looking for 10 to 15 of them. So we, we, we kind of weed through them. You know, we, we put them on, like I said, we, we usually do like a YouTube thing. Like, hey, if you submit your YouTube clip, you know, we'll put it up on a, on a, on our channel and we'll, you know, you drive your people there and whoever gets the most likes, we'll kind of put them in the festival. That's kind of one of the ways that we've weeded it out. But the other thing is it all comes down to personal connections. I mean, I think it, it really does. It really is an industry of who, you know, if you've got the right heart, if you've got the right sound, all those types of things, you know, we'll, we'll look at what you have. I do go through uh, everyone that emails me. I do look at their stuff. I, I go on their website. I check their, their That's Facebook good. page. It's silly, but I, I look to see where else they've played, you know, try to see, yeah. you know, hey, what are they doing on their social media? Are they are they talking good about their venues? Are they talking, you know, do they right. do they complain about their last show? Oh, you see, know? that's good. Uh, that's good information. <laughs> like, that matters. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good to know. Um, who, uh, you know, what are they posting? Are they are they posting, you know, for us, it, you know, obviously we want to see if they're if they're a Christian or not right. um, before we would because have it's them. a Christian festival because it's a Christian, Christian festival, festival yeah. but what is their what is their you know view of the of the industry what is their you know are they are they you know do they have people posting to their site do they have people tweeting at them and and, and putting that kind of stuff out there do they have people that that want to engage with the band because um, that's what we want obviously if we put somebody on you know our side stage at three o'clock in the afternoon, a solo guitar player, they're not selling a single ticket to my event. I'm wanting to add value to the event by giving my attendees, you know, a good artist, somebody that they can look at and go, wow, I really dig that person. I'm going to follow that person or I'm going to go, I'm going to go download their music or I'm going to find them on Spotify or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever the case may be for how to consume their, their, their music. But, uh, you know, so I want, I want to see bands that are, are, positively engaging their audiences not necessarily the you know who's really the best musician you know we're not always looking for that we're looking for who 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 has good engagement with our with their crowd yeah so yeah that's good um how do you if you can give this kind of information and if you can't that's fine but how do you typically pay an artist to come play at a festival or do artists get paid to play at a festival uh, on average big artists probably yes 
new artists that are coming into it, maybe not so much, or are you getting to sell merch? And how does that work if you're getting to do that kind of thing? So um, typically, if you make less than a certain amount of money, we don't take a cut of the merch fee or we don't charge, you know, merch fees or we don't charge you for, you know, the extra stuff. One of the things that is is kind of in the industry is um, most festivals charge a 25% merch fee. So we'll provide you the table. We'll provide you people to operate your table. We'll provide, you know, obviously we're the ones taking all the risks to bring all the fans in there. So we get a cut of your merch. Uh, that happens with a lot of the bigger talent. Um, for us personally, when we get to the smaller bands, obviously we, we don't want to take, you know, the, the, you know, if you sell a CD or some t-shirts or something, you're putting that in your gas tank, you're putting that in your, you know, you're buying lunch with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that the, the bigger artists don't, but it's, it's a, it's a corporation. It's a bigger machine. Sure. Cause they're guaranteed to get sales right. pretty much. Whereas a new artist that people don't know, this is kind of like an introduction for them. So, yeah. 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 Um, so we personally want to pay everyone that plays our festival. We want to pay them something. We feed our artists, you know, so, so if nothing else, you're going to show up, you're going to get, you know, a check, you know, to at least cover gas money um, and, and something to eat, you know, yeah. at, at our catering area. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. Uh, time slot availability, who's there, who's, who's not. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, musicians are, are, you know, it's, it's a living. You're not paying necessarily for how many people they put in the tent. You're paying for all the years that they put into their craft, that they put into writing those songs that they're trying to sell and that they're trying to put out there. And it's, it's hard for the new people to break in. It's hard for uh, people who don't have any radio exposure or don't have streaming Spotify, you know, people that don't have those numbers. Now mm-hmm. I always say, I always say radio, but radio is, can we just say radio is a dead market? I mean, it's still around, it's still doing its thing, but really for the next generation, it's, it's not, it's not something that, you know, the tangible numbers on radio aren't as, aren't as good as they used to be. Now it's how many likes are you, or how many spins downloads are you getting? How many streams are you getting? All those types of things mm-hmm. um, that, that we're looking for. But you know, for, for, for the new artists, for the small artists, for the indie artists, um, you know, the 20 CDs that they'll sell or those two t-shirts that they'll sell or whatever, uh, you know, really means a lot more to them than it does to us. Um, and, uh, we, we try to track that. We have our stage managers watching them. We do try to track sales. We want to see who is selling what, even if we're not, you know, engaging in, you know, if we're not taking a cut, um, we want to know how you did in sales because that, that determines who plays next year. Right. If you get called back or not. Yeah. If, if somebody, you know, if, if our stage manager says, Hey, they, you know, they started out with nobody here, but they had a pretty good crowd by the end of it. Oh, and they sold $500 worth of merch, you know? Oh, and you know what? They were really nice to work with. They were a pleasure to work with. Uh, they said, thank you. They said, you know, our stage managers are the gatekeepers, uh, in a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the places for that. Cause they're the people that report back to me that talk to me. Them and the, our production manager, or our, our uh, um, program managers at each of the venues. Hey, so and so was ready to go on time. Their sound check went good. They're a pleasure to work with. They'll probably be back at our festival. Um, yeah, they showed up late. They're kind of hard to deal with. They went over their time. They weren't very, you know, they weren't very nice. Oh, nah, they'll never be back. Okay. Um, and what's what's tough about it in the, in this industry is. As big as the music industry is, it's a small, small world. Yep. You know, there's 37 festival promoters that were here, and we talk about, you know, we don't like write on a board and say bad or evil or whatever, but 
it's not even so much that you'll get blackballed as much as it will be you don't get promoted you don't get talked about um when people do a really good job at the festival you know when it's it's especially if it's somebody small that you know the singer songwriters or the the you know four four dudes in a van <laughs> that are bouncing around the country trying to trying to do shows uh, when somebody's really there and they try hard and they they really engage with our audience and they get a they do well in merch, those are the bands I'm going to talk about and tell other people. Hey, have you heard of this guy? Have you heard of these guys? No, you should check them out. Put them on your side stage. You know, give them two or three spots so they can get you know get to know the crowd and and put them out there. Um, it really does come down to attitude. Yeah, for, for us, and that's really good just because of knowing that you got 37 other festivals that you're communicating with you know because a lot of the artists are playing the different festivals mm -hmm. you know you're getting the same artists at different festivals around throughout the summer or throughout the year whatever it is yeah and so and the fact that you guys are all talking to each other about how someone is doing how they perform or how they how they act around around you guys mm -hmm. uh or with the audience or whatever you know that that's good to know you know i think i want artists that are listening to this right now to really perk their ears up and take take notice of what we're talking about because you know that's a make or break scenario for you of how you treat the people that you're coming to perform for you know whether it be on the the festival staff side of things or it be the way that you treat the attendees that are there to see you mm -hmm. right so i i remember back um i went to a show and the opening band was just having a bad day uh, i was there to you know like everyone else in the arena i was there to see the headliner and yeah. the opening band was having a bad day like the guitar player, the poor guitar player is giving it at us all. And he like jumps off the drum riser and he unplugs his guitar and, you know, big pop in the sand. Like, I mean, just everything that could go wrong for this band was going wrong. And then the lead singer turned on the audience and it, it clearly wasn't that necessarily for their career, but they never did anything. They never went anywhere. They never became a band. They never became anything. Right. Um, and, and in my mind, their tunes were okay, but if that lead singer had taken the band, had taken the audience and embraced them and like, if he had done something positive, right, I probably would have picked up their CD. I probably would have went to their their table. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, I mean, I don't know if anyone bought anything from them. Like mm -hmm. nobody was paying attention to them by the end of their show, especially when it turned, you know, when that lead singer had a bad attitude. Um, you know, we don't see that a lot necessarily in the Christian market, but you can see, you know, people are people. Yeah. No matter what. And everybody has bad days. It's just how you're gonna how are you gonna yeah. react to it, especially in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. Man, I screw up stuff all the time in shows. And especially when I'm doing just an acoustic show, you know, and I mess up the words or, you know, whatever it is, but the way that I react to what I just screwed up, if I can make the audience laugh along with me and kind of make a thing about it, you know, like, oh, you know, and just stop and like, oh, wasn't supposed to happen. Just kidding, or yeah. whatever. And then keep going. That breaks tension. Yeah, you know, and that gives everybody the the freedom to kind of relax and laugh something off. And then all of a sudden, you've got their attention now in a in a new way, and they'll stay with you. Yeah, you know. And then you you build you build friendships, you build fans that way. And I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. I mean. I think people understand human moments. Uh, yeah. There was a, actually one of our one of our co-headliners one year uh, came in and, and the the tour manager came off the bus and he came to me and he goes, "Hey, he's sick. Our, our the 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 artist is you know he's been sick. He's been having 
all kinds of issues. Uh, he hasn't gotten out of his bunk. And obviously when you're a singer yeah. <laughs> and you play guitar and you're about to be on stage in front of 30,000 people, you know, you got to have, you know, I'm sure his throat was raw, all these things. So we actually, we, you know, we went ahead and we canceled his meet and greet time. We canceled his, his, you know, radio liner spots and we did all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the road manager was really open about what was going on and we made sure everything was happening. His band got up, they got the sound check in, they got all that stuff done. He slept, he slept, he slept. He came out off the bus. He was supposed to play 75 minutes. And uh, we had basically agreed to, look, just give him what you got. Like, if you can't sing, you can't sing. If you can't go, you can't go. We'll figure something out. And he walked out and he did about 55, 60 minutes. And he skipped all the little story times and the in-between song. I mean, he just played just every sang. song until he literally, you, could, you couldn't hear words coming out of his mouth anymore. You could just tell his throat throat was raw. And he made a mention to the audience, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff. And, you know, and he played his last song and he literally ran off the stage and he went straight to the, the porta potty. And, you know, that to me meant more than him fulfilling his contract and doing all of these other things that he was he, he had agreed to do in his contract. And uh, as a festival promoter, if you don't do X, Y and Z in your contract, we, you know, you get a reduction, you don't get paid everything. We paid him full price. We're like, yeah. look, he did everything that he could do and and had a great attitude. And his guys all had a great attitude despite the circumstances. Um, they did everything that they could do to perform the show. On the flip side of that, we've had artists that have come in and been like, oh, you know, I had a late night last night. I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And, you know, those those types of things don't get you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, those types of things don't get you rebooked. Um, even Even if you're a big artist. There's a lot of big artists out there. There's a lot of guys that want that spot. And the ones that are willing to do whatever it takes are the ones that typically get those, you know, get to come back. Yeah. Man, that is so good. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think yeah. this is this is really good information for people that, especially artists that are wanting to come and perform at festivals, Whether again, whether it be in the Christian market or in the mainstream market, because again, those things, they still operate the same way overall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it comes back to your attitude and how you're going to interact with the staff and fulfill obligations. You know, like you said, as long as you're willing to try and do your best yeah. and have a good, a good attitude about it, then there's a good chance that you can get rebooked for something. And if you don't, then it's over with. And then that's going to spread to the other festivals because you guys are all interconnected, mm -hmm. you know, and so people are going to know by word of mouth, whether you're worth having or worth not have, not worth having. So um, thank it's, you for sharing all that. Yeah, it's the biggest small world, uh, the music industry. It's it is so many people know each other and and know what you know what what's happening at other places and yeah. and and we really do look at all the way down. You know, I walk onto the stage, you know, as the festival director, and there's people that have a different attitude towards me than they do towards the stage crew guy. Um, because you're the director. Because I'm the director. Show. Yeah, and I, I watch that. I watch how they interact with the stage crew guys. Do they do they treat them like they're you know that they're the hired help to do something? And do they have a different attitude when I walk in, or when you know how does that how do those interactions go? Um, and and I, it, I take it takes me all the way back to when I was the stage crew guy, or I was the stage manager guy. I was the low guy on the totem pole, and how did I get treated? And mm -hmm. and, and thinking about you know 
it doesn't feel good to not be treated well. It doesn't feel good to not have that, you know, person be nice to you, obviously. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, to be treated like you're just there to be the hired help. Yeah. So, cause people are people, everybody's the same, uh, when you boil it down and some people have the job of getting to be the lead singer on stage and some people have the job of moving all of their equipment. Right. So, <laughs> yep. And it also that this applies not to just festivals, but any venue that you're playing, that you're playing music for, you know, no matter where it's, you know, if it's a, a club or a bar or, you know, a hot dog stand or whatever yep. it is, like whoever you're coming in to perform for and that they're in charge of making sure because they've got the power, they can turn you on or off. Yeah. They can hit mute on that microphone button real, <laughs> real fast, you know, yep. if it's a sound guy or if it's a promoter or the venue owner or whatever it is. So no matter where you're playing, you know, have that same attitude wherever it is. It doesn't matter what the venue is. You always have that that kind of a good attitude and that will that will get you rebooked and hopefully get you other places that mm -hmm. you wouldn't otherwise just because they they see your your work ethic and your attitude moving forward. Yeah, I do find it it's for a lot of artists it tends to be that middle ground where they start to have that weird conflict of 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 how to behave and things like that a lot of times the headliner the big the big guys they come in they know their job their guys are professional everyone does what they're supposed to do they come in they do their thing everybody's friends they leave uh you know and then they come back for their show after they get their sound check and load in done a lot of times it's that it's that weird middle ground where they want to be the bigger bands they are they've got that number one hit or they've got that that new single but they're playing it you know seven o'clock or they're playing at five o'clock or whatever. And that's where you see it a lot. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, especially if you're kind of just getting going or you've been in the industry for a while and you're starting to get some success is just know that every, everything that you do can be under a microscope and everything that you do can make or break you. Um, you know, if you, you know, be nice to the little guy because they're the ones that are putting your show on, be nice to the promoter. They're the ones that are going to rebook you. You know, and they're eventually going to move up the totem pole to become yeah. the director one day, and yeah. they'll, they they'll remember that 15 years ago, so and so band was a jerk to me, you know, when I was the stage manager of the side tent that they first performed on, yeah. and they've I've known that ever since, and so now I'm the director, and they want to come back and play. Well, let's see, are you still a jerk, yeah. or have you has your attitude improved over the years, or yeah, you know, so those things matter. Yep. Yeah. So, dude, it's so good to see you. It's been great. Thank you for sharing all of this wonderful information real quick just to kind of close out um advice i mean we've been talking advice kind of non-stop here which is awesome but is there anything specific outside of what we talked about already that you would say somebody that wants to get into uh to work at a festival let's just kind of do that because we've been talking about the artist thing yeah. for a while so let's just closing out you know somebody wants to come and be on staff at a festival how do you recommend doing that um, take any job that's offered to you, uh, uh, I think would be the, the first, uh, first piece of advice. I and mean, how do they, how do they even contact you to begin with? Like um, who do they, they have to research you online, look up life fest or a fe uh, or any festival in, in general? Like what would they, what's the first, first step for doing that? So we get, so we actually do hire some summer staff that comes on board, okay. uh, so at life promotions, at life promotions who get paid. Uh, one one poor person every year has to be my assistant. Uh, and then we've got, you know, an, a talent coordinator, you know, assistant and a couple other like paid positions. But contractors who work specifically for the festival, you know, a lot of it does come through obviously referrals and and people who are, are 
you know, people that we know who know somebody and who, you know, who'd be good at this or whatever. But a lot of guys, we just get, um, a lot of festivals, Christian and secular have volunteers, especially for stage crew, um, things like that. Most of our stage managers have come from the stage crew, guys that we knew, guys that we saw that took initiative, guys that, and gals, I shouldn't say guys, that's guys and girls, uh, who are, you know, they take the lead. They're willing to do the job. They're willing to learn what's next. What else do we need to do? How do I do this? They're natural leaders. We, 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 we do recruit a lot of those people. Um, but from a straight, like coming on board, I mean, if you, if I don't know who you are, if I don't know what you do for a living or what you're doing, if you're in college or you're, you know, you want to get into this thing, you're going to start at the bottom. You're going to, you know, you don't get to do the main stage. You're going to be the guy that gets handed a clipboard <laughs> at the little rock venue and say, Hey, help the stage manager with these changeovers or, uh, you know, do this. The big thing too, is don't come into that, that part of the world expecting to get to hang out with artists and take selfies and do all of those types of things. You know, if you're there to work, if you're there to do the job, um, it's not an easy gig. It's a hard job. The hours are crazy. You go from the, uh, you know, it's, it's that hurry up and wait mentality a lot. It's mm-hmm. all right, we're going to dump this entire semi full of equipment and we're going to put it all together. And then we're going to go sit for two hours until the next band is ready to do this. And then we're going to do it all over again. And then we're going to do it again and again and again. Um, but, but for our event, I mean, reach out, text. Um, like I said, if we have the, uh, you know, we get a lot of people who, who just email this, email us right at, uh, life promotions and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a tech major or I'm a, you know, music major at a school or whatever. And I want to get involved. Um, obviously if it's outside of the, the full-time or the, the summer staff that we pay, you know, a lot of the guys come in and like I said, you're going to be, you know, schlepping cases or doing whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning, but you get to be around it. You get to see how it works. Yep. Uh, and that, that is everyone's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Again, thank you. <laughs> it's so good to see you and to hang out with you and to reconnect after, 12, 13 years, whatever it's been. Yeah. And um, so I'm, and I'm grateful for our friendship over the years for letting me crash on your couch whenever I'd be up in your area on tour and (laughs) back in the day. And so it's, it's just good to, to visit with you. So thank you for sharing this amazing amount of information with, uh, with my audience. And hopefully people will put it into practice in their lives and their careers. Uh, Yeah. You know, yeah. Awesome, dude. Good to see you. Great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, there's another amazing interview in the books. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you are an artist who wants to perform at a music festival, or if you're wanting to get into work at a music festival as a stagehand and work your way up through the ranks and hopefully maybe become the director of a music festival someday or as a promoter or production assistant, or there are so many different things you can do working at a festival. There's just kind of like endless possibilities, it seems like. So I really hope you take what we've talked about and you find ways to put that into practice into your career and I look forward to hearing from you please let me know how things are going for you I would love to hear from you please you can email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com let me know what's going on with you how your career is working out Uh, if there's anything that I can do to help you I would love to know about that whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on would you please subscribe to the podcast on that platform and like it and share it with everyone you know that would be just so amazing I greatly appreciate that Remember, Edabrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.